Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Tons of texts coming in here too. The Dunbar Lumber text line, uh, in- including somebody saying, uh, "Are we going to do the um, the all your trade ideas are bad show?" But just on at least Patterson future returns now. Uh, like, are we going to pivot can, to that? I can play that game. Actually, actually. So on on the one hand, I'm reluctant to get too far into it because I don't want to. I am. A, it's I. I am like extremely of two minds about this yeah. because it's a story. It deserves to be talked about and mentioned. If I don't get me wrong, if I didn't work in the media and I was a fan. And, you know, I was talking to my buddies like we would 100 percent be like spitballing. What about this? What about this? What, would this team be interested? Would they give up? Yes. This? Like 100 percent because it's fun and it's interesting. On the other hand, so the I team, love that. But I'm like, ah, it just feels a little off when the team is first it. place and yada, yada, into yada. it. <laughs> well, so so I also. Yeah, I mean. Fundamentally, too. Right. And and I think so. I, I, I have two hypotheticals that I want to bring up to you, but I want right. to caption them like this. Okay. I want to get into these because I actually think the conversation reinforces why this is not something to watch for ahead of March 8. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, and I've never, like, I've never, ever thought they're going to no, be in season. That, that would just be, like, why? that's unprecedented. Because you can throw the Kachuk thing and that's, yeah, okay, that's like the Post roadmap after we're the kind year. of talking yeah, yeah. here. But, like, whew, in season. Yeah, right? That would be something else. So let let's... um. Let me throw a couple of hypotheticals at you just to right. like illustrate. I would live for that chaos, by the way. <laughs> nah. The be, content listen, that we listen, would put out. It would be a big day for the station. I'm not going to lie. We don't want it. We want a big it would run be, here's for what the it would station, be, which it, requires Exactly. Better. I was going to say, it would be short-term gain, long-term loss. Okay. Anyways. So the Carolina Hurricanes were bridesmaids in the Matthew Kachuk sweepstakes. All right. Fearing that... They might miss out again on a unique opportunity. They call and aggressively offer you, let's say, Martin uh, Natchez, Mm -hmm. who's expiring, 25-year-old centerman, super productive, very good. And Brett Pesci. And you get to talk extension with Brett Pesci before. So Mm -hmm. one of the game's single best right-handed defensemen, um, and like a pretty consistent 70-point, 25-year-old centerman. You get both those pieces, and I don't know, let's throw like um, an additional Felix Unger-Sorum yeah. prospect into the mix. Window dressing. Would you do that ahead of the deadline? No, I don't think I would. No. No. Like relatively I don't think that I don't think that improves your chances at winning the Stanley Cup Live a little. <laughs> Stop it, Dom. <laughs> that, wouldn't that be great if Dom's, uh, the, if Dom's they, the little devil over the shoulder of the they show? They do today? a trade like that, and then the at the presser, Rutherford's just like YOLO. <laughs> well, you only live once. <laughs> that was good. Did you just debut your Jim Rutherford impression. I like that. Very I'm, solid. I'm workshopping. Yeah, I like very that. solid. Um, yeah. the The point of this, I think, is. D- does that the trade- bar for doing it in season will be extraordinarily high. 
does extraordinarily that, does high. Does that trade make you 10% worse? Right, because if it does, the leverage of getting ten percent worse when you're at the top of the NHL standings, mm-hmm. uh, a franchise that has never won the Stanley Cup in its history, I mean, you know, that's that's massive, right? Like that that leverage is massive. So here here's another one that I think is maybe trickier. I actually saw um, Spinning Chicklets Ryan Whitney bring up his name as like, could it happen before the deadline? And I, I got me thinking. Say for whatever reason, Elias Pettersson was willing to extend with the Ottawa Senators. All right, we're getting into real hypotheticals now. Real hypotheticals. <laughs> real hard to, hard to imagine But it's a thought exercise more than anything. Sure. And so they call and offer you Brady Kachuk. Okay, Brady Kachuk's like a 30-goal, 70-point, mm-hmm. 6'4", 220-pound, super unique profile center. Signed this year and for four more afterwards at, at just over $8 million. And is the best. Like, Brady Kachuk rocks. Is he really a center, though? Yeah. He plays wing, doesn't he? He's a forward, but he's a center. All right. What? Yeah, no, that's fair. You don't like him down the middle? I think I think he's probably more of a winger. No, he's a center. He's been a center way more regularly than he's been a winger in his NHL career. Anyway. All right, anyways. Um... Yeah, what would you think about it? So Brady, one for one? One for one. No. You wouldn't even think about it. Not in season. Right. I might at the draft. Okay. But I'm not I'm not passing up. You don't even think it's a it's a tough one? Because the thing is you have to if you're giving up if you were going to trade Patterson, I can't believe we're having this discussion. But if you're gonna do it before the deadline, which is what, less than two weeks away now. The other team is getting the extra value of a an additional playoff run with Elias Patterson, right? So they have to further compensate you more than what you would want for a trade. <laughs> wow, that was exciting. More than what you would want for a trade at the draft. And so I could see a, 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 a Patterson for Brady Kachuk framework at the draft, but I think if you're doing it in season, Ottawa, now they're not going to make the playoffs, so I, like... Again, this is very much a thought exercise here. It is a thought exercise. But I think the team acquiring Patterson, if they re- if they were like, okay, we have to go out and do it at the deadline, well, you have to pay a lot extra for that urgency. And we're already talking about an extraordinarily valuable trade asset. Now you got to pay more to get it done before the deadline. So I think that pushes the value out of the, the Brady Kachuk one-for-one range. Okay. I, I don't disagree. Look, fundamentally, fundamentally, this is an off-season question in my view. You need Pedersen. He he is this team's most valuable forward. And if they're going to do anything in the playoffs, they need him on the team. They're, they're, at some point, this could come to a head this summer. Either it, Well, at some point, this will come to a head some, this there's summer. There's going to be some... Because they either list, get a look, deal done... If you're tired of the non-update updates on this, there will be real update updates in the summer of some sort. Absolutely. Well, there's And there's all sorts of deadlines. Yeah. And, and various leverage points. And like real like, deadlines. Because I know the the trade deadline one has been kind of floated out there, but like it's not a real deadline. No, but team elected arbitration deadline, yep. um, qualifying offer deadline, market opens, and Pedersen will be eligible to talk to teams as a free agent, albeit a restricted one, arbitration hearing. I mean, there's also one way or another something will give in about six months. But in the meantime, the, this team's – at such a high level, and this guy's too important to it for, yeah. for anything to give. And somebody says, uh, have you lost your mind, Rob from Victoria? Have you lost your mind? Of course I'd make that trade any time. But the question is, is that trade going to be there in the summer? 
And that's the question with any of these hypotheticals, right? Is like, are the, are these teams, if they're so motivated to go get Patterson before the deadline, are there not going to be very, very similar deals available in the summer as yeah, well? Yeah. So, you know, it's not it's not that you have to do the deal right now. You have the ability to retain Patterson for a playoff run that you have already invested a lot in and you hope is going to be a long one. And then you would have the freedom to explore these options down the road. You absolutely do not have to worry about managing the value of a 100-point center. No. <laughs> Just like flat out. Don't even worry about it. No, and that's why also like the flip side of this is, uh, and I don't have the text right in front of me, but you know we've seen versions of this like, hey, is this just Patterson betting on himself? You know, is hey, if I have a great playoff run, does that set me up to make even more money? And you never know. That could be a little bit about it, but Patterson's value is pretty much as close to assured as you get right now, <laughs> right? Like if he hits a hundred points for a second straight season, you're into it. Doesn't really matter what you do in the playoffs territory. You're going to be a consecutive hundred point center. That's going to get you paid an awful lot. Look, hey, some exceptional performance could it eke a little bit more money out? Yeah, sure, maybe. But like Patterson, he's performed so well the last couple of years. He almost doesn't need to grind his leverage that much to get a, a, an incredible deal. Well, he, well, he doesn't. But do don't ignore, don't ignore the potential. Especially if he's willing to do for just raw business case. Mm -hmm. If if he was willing to accept his QO, which is eight point eight million, mm -hmm. and take it twelve more months, there is the possibility that he could hit the open market at the age of twenty six as a three point hundred, a three time hundred point centerman. With a $95 million upper limit of the salary cap. Yeah. $17 million? Woo. 16 I, No, I, like truly, like blow up your paradigm of what you think the best players in the NHL make if it played out that way. I don't think, I don't think that matters to him, personally. That's my sense of it. I don't think that actually matters to him. But if you were like a super business-minded individual, if, that, like, if maximizing your income was your number one priority, I mean... There is absolutely a playbook and not one that's going to take like years to play out at this point, like 18 months from now, where he could fundamentally detonate the paradigm for what the top players in this league make. He's set up to do that if, yeah. if, if he if he cared to. I don't think he is. I don't think he does. But don't ignore that. Yeah, but I don't I don't get the sense that's what's driving this. It's not primarily. No, it's not. But I, I when when you're talking about like there's not too much more that he I, you're right in terms of his performance, but because let's say to, of sign, the, to sign this summer, right? Just it's just that the, number is pretty much locked in, whatever sure. he wants, you know. But it's just the it, this was my reaction to the like twelve times eight storyline. Was it's like I'm not convinced that that's a no brainer offer level for a player mm. at this point. You know the, the the this cap dynamic, which is outside either party's control, I do think makes this a a, a truly unique one. To, to bring it back to our old friend Timofey Mozgov. Yes. The the patron saint of the Canucks talk. By the program. way, I think it was after our last show uh, that somebody suggested that Dakota Joshua could be the Timofey Mozgov, which I thought was a very interesting. It needs to be someone who hits the year after. Mm, so in not my this opinion. Year. All right. You know what I mean? Because like we're going to get a $5 million A little lift, bit of an increase, yeah. But it's like there there's a real possibility that you could get like a $5 million and then an $8 million in consecutive years and then... I mean, what do what do contracts even look like at at a ninety five million dollar upper limit? Yeah, I don't even know. There's going to be know? a big adjustment. It's a huge adjustment. It's going to be fun. Uh, six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Um, look, there's still lots of Pedersen uh, talk coming in here, and 
Now, we'll try to pivot in a second, but uh, this one came in. Uh, do you think unsigned? Do you think the team is getting ticked off with all this uncertainty for the future? And then somebody else texted in, you, you know, related regarding the locker room. Uh, could this possibly be filtering into the locker room because PD is holding up all the other UFA RFA contracts, even for who even for free agents who want to stay? And as you pointed out, one of the things that caught your interest the most from Rick Dollywall's reporting was the idea that this is becoming a distraction for the team. Now, Dollywall didn't specify like what levels who distracted what the exact dynamic is but I do think that's really interesting and I would if I was management yeah I'd be pretty frustrated that you don't have like this is the first domino that you want to take care of and you've got a lot of work to do this summer let alone ahead of the trade deadline to put this team in the best position to go win a Stanley Cup this is the first domino that you would want to take care of in an ideal world, and you're not able to. Now, the question about the other players on the team, and if you're a pending UFA, and if the word you're getting is like, hey, we can't really do anything right now until until PD signs, I could see that being frustrating, but that's just pure speculation. I don't know, but I do think it's it's not surprising, and this is why I've never fully gotten on board with the, well, he said he'd talk after the season, so what's everyone so concerned about? Because that has material consequences for the team. The team can't like can't really afford to just say like all right we'll check in in May. They have all this other work they ha- they they want to do, so it's fine. Like Pedersen's allowed to take that approach, but it's not a mystery why the team would then get a little impatient with that approach. Absolutely. When Rutherford and Alvin were talking to the media, I think it was on this station. In fact, I know it was with uh, with uh, on Canuck Central. Back in December, I was like stunned by how explicitly they were willing to admit that there are real team building benefits to cost certainty. Mm -hmm. Because it's something that I always say, like it's like one of my classic rules, and yet I don't expect team executives to ever admit it. You know, it, it, but it's self evident. Like it's obviously true. And that's sort of, you know, one of the costs of making the wrong bet on an elite player's second contract. You know, you 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 bridge them and uh and they become superstars. That can make you sweat. You bridge uh-huh. them and they struggle. That can make you sweat. I mean, there's all sorts of various permutations and you know, this isn't distinct. Like we literally went through this two summers ago with Brock Besser on the opposite end of the spectrum where he'd sort of struggled. Yep. Is L- the QO low ebb of his value. Yeah. And and guess what happened? 18 to 24 months of unmitigated, ceaseless, unyielding speculation. You know, like, this is the dynamic that the Canucks selected when they handled Pedersen the way they did back in the summer of 2021. You know, it's it's like all fruit from the poisonous tree now. Uh, no one should be surprised it's become a story. No one should be surprised that it's something of a distraction. No one should be surprised that there are sharks in the pond. Uh-huh. Trying to see if that thing they smell is blood in the water, right? Like, no one should be surprised by any of this. That said, you know, like uh, Daisy Jones and the Six, you know, like uh, at some point you can have friction in your band, but you've got a pretty cool concert to play over the next couple months. Just like finish the tour. Yeah. You know, that, that's got to be the focus. Finish the tour with the group you have because it's working pretty great and we're all enjoying that. Put it... 
Leave it, leave it uh, off the ice, right? Like yep. put it, put it aside when you step out there. And look, hey, this team has done that. As much as it's becoming a distraction, quote, has done unquote, they've done that. Dom, you guys know how much I love to quote Moneyball. I did not know. I that, didn't but I'll, I'll take your word well, for it. I, I, I famously claimed on this station that Moneyball is the reason why uh, so many analytics-based people like Dom Lucian are now so prevalent in uh, in sports. Um, to quote Moneyball, I love the idea that there's some intern within the Canucks organization that would go up to Rutherford or or or, uh, or Patrick and pull the Jonah Hill line of, I think it's a good thing that you got Elias Pettersson off your books. I think it opens up a massive amount of possibilities. Sorry, wait, you're saying that? I, I, Are you- I love the idea that there could be someone in, in the organization that would mimic a Jonah Hill in this case, being like, nah. No nah, man, you're look pay- for looking for the bright side. You're yeah, saying, exactly. yeah. I mean, look. I mean, there's definitely people who will say that about just about any player, no matter how good they are. And partly, what we've seen is the Canucks go all in, you know, uh, on on glue guys, as opposed to higher price guys. With a lot of those guys hitting at high volume, sort of helping to power their rise up the standings. But let's not ignore that the fundamental reason that this team's performed the way they have is like. Demko, Hughes, Pedersen, Miller have all been at the apex of their powers, um, all healthy, all available, all season, right? And like hitting at the same time for the first time in their sort of partnership, right? There's always been like one guy's hurt, one guy's struggling. All four going at the at the same time has been a powerful, powerful thing for this team. So are, are you saying you can't replace Elias Pedersen in the aggregate? I, I, I am. <laughs> I am. And here's And here's partly why. Usually when someone says that about, like, a Jason Giambi, it's because they're being an age snob. Like, well, he's 30. Right. Who knows what it looks like in two years? You can't say that with a 25-year-old guy. Now, I will say, Dom, you're not – it's not entirely wrong. Like, I've been – I was on the morning show last week saying, like, there are people texting in, just trade him, whatever, go get the haul, they'll be better off. To me, I don't see how you get closer to winning a Stanley Cup by trading Elias Patterson. Having said that – a mitigating factor it doesn't change that math, but a mitigating factor is with the return and the cap space. The possibilities are endless after that, right? Like you can choose a lot of different things to pursue and do. Yeah. I'm not saying that makes it a good thing. I'm just saying that's how you would have to. That's what you would have to embrace. You'd have to embrace that idea of, OK, we've got a ton of different possibilities now. We're not locked into any one thing. Let's be flexible. Let's be open. Let's see what develops out there for us. And that can be a good thing. Doesn't mean it's the best of the options. I would stop well short of saying that. I absolutely don't don't agree with that. You want to keep a player like Elias Pettersson as long as you can. But it's something it's, if you're trying to look on the bright side, it's not completely illegitimate. Is what but I'm at saying. the end of the day, and I have no intel to say that this is true. Oh, if, really? You don't? I don't. Despite what some people may think, you know, Jamie. Um, so are a, you still talking about your Moneyball hypothetical? If a player doesn't, no. <laughs> although I will bring those up from time to time. If I, a player doesn't mean, want to be here, you have to you have to do what's best for your franchise. You have to maximize what oh, value yeah. you right. can extract from sorry, a player sorry. that doesn't want to be we, here. We all agree. It's yeah. just that what's best for your franchise is to not do anything for another two weeks and then revisit in the mm-hmm. summer, try to get the deal done again, and only as a last resort. And by the way, that matches where the Canucks seem to be based on all this reporting, right? Which is our goal is to get him signed. Our goal is to get him signed. Mm-hmm. We're That's trying it. to get him signed. We want to get him signed. That's been they've been very consistent, and that they're a hundred percent correct. Now, yeah, and if if something happens that makes that impossible, then you got to pivot, of course. But and let's not let's not ignore either. Like 
Is it unusual for a player as good as Pedersen to get to this point? A little bit. That's a little bit unusual. Is it unheard of? Hardly, right? The Sedin twins got well past this point. Steven Stamkos Stamkos, got well past this point. I mean, we've seen players get to the point of meeting with rival teams, hearing pitches, and then deciding to stay where they're at. You know, like, this story's not run, this isn't an inevitability, and it shouldn't be discussed in that club, club... What we know about the club's posture here matches what we'd expect of their rational self-interest, mm. right? What we know about Pedersen's stance? Well, we don't know anything about Pedersen's nope. stance beyond that he always said that he'd want to wait until after the year. And that's kind of where we're at. It's more than anything, like when we were tossing the hypotheticals out earlier this segment, it's just the thought exercise, right? The thought exercise of like, well, if you can't even come up with a glorious deal you'd consider that doesn't involve the New Jersey Devils sending the entire Hughes family to, to Vancouver, then it doesn't make sense to do it. You got to wait. And that seems to be where the Canucks are at. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll probably get back into this conversation at some point because yeah. people, uh, I mean, there's a lot of appetite after for today. This. After today, we can we sideline it? Oh, it's going to go back on the back burner for a while. Anyways, eh, I think so. I mean, we'll see. You never know what you'll never know what the what the next report is going to be. But it's game day tomorrow, and I, then I think, trade deadline. I think ahead, until, all of that. I think until the deadline passes, this is going to be not. Maybe it's not front burner, but it's like I just don't see the deadline. The deadline is like a totally artificial date as relates to this 100%. story. So it's like the deadline passing shouldn't really mean anything. I don't think the deadline will only matter because it's going to be like what are teams doing, and it's in that context that. The Pedersen story is just sure. going to keep like popping its head up. All right, Loch we'll uh, we'll talk stuff. a little Petey, but we'll talk just the Canucks in general. Thoughts about the Bruins game, looking ahead to the week to come with Kevin Woodley from NHL.com in Goal Magazine. That's coming up next here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line the dispatch plumbing heating and air conditioning hotline brought to you by dispatch plumbing heating and air conditioning the first call the only call and uh, we're just waiting to get kevin woodley on the line here from nhl.com and in goal magazine Uh, always a pleasure to have uh to have woodley on the show and in fact we do have him right now so we'll go to the dispatch plumbing heating and air conditioning hotline the first call the only call to our guest, uh, as mentioned, from NHL.com and In Goal Magazine, Kevin Woodley, a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Kevin, thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm good. I'm actually in my White Rock Hyundai, Perfect. the Ionic 6, as I, I head towards Penguins practice at 1.30, find out whether they have Brian Rust on the trip or not. Very good. Uh, yeah, big game coming up against the Penguins tomorrow, so uh, we'll look forward to some the Lord's from you work, on that Woodley. one. You're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> I was going to say. You're, you, you must put in more FaceTime with the visiting team than anyone else in Vancouver. Oh, by media. a mile. He's always in the oh, room. 
Yeah, and I mean, the reality is this used to be standard, and I get it. Like, I'm not complaining about the way the industry's changed, but um, it's so hyper-local now. Like, I remember in the past where, I mean, this is, I mean, especially the Penguins, like Sid uh, or Mario before him, because, yes, I'm old enough to have covered him. Um, you know, a trip by them would automatically warrant visiting media, co- like, or Vancouver media coverage of the team, like, extensive, like, mm. multiple cameras, multiple reporters, both newspapers having feature stories sort of setting it up. And, you know, again, I know why it's hyper-local. I know that's, that's what the audience wants. Um, but I do wonder at the National Hockey League level a little bit in a gate-driven league where even during this run of Canucks success, and yes, I believe every ticket is sold, but they're not accounted for. Like there were, there were you know, blocks of empty seats against the Bruins the other night. I kind of wonder whether that coverage is missed, frankly. Yeah, it's an interesting point. And as you said, look, this is a high-profile team and a, a really fascinating really team bad. in the Penguins right now as well, given how their season has gone and what they might do at the deadline. What are you curious to see from the Penguins on Tuesday and kind of find out a, a little more at practice today as well? Well, well I, I want to have a discussion with the people involved, obviously, in the goaltending department because the numbers you know, aren't there for Jari or Nadelkovic after a really good start. Um They've leaked a little bit more defensively. Like, you know, this was the team when they won two cups that sort of created or, or sort of generated this this recognition of the importance of laterals, both in terms of scoring goals by going east-west offensively, but the importance of shutting them down. You know, I know that the Washington Capitals, armed with the data from the Penguins Cup runs, like focused on how they attacked and how they defended specifically with an eye towards those slot line or what we were calling at the time Royal Road plays, um, using data from ClearSight Analytics to the extent where, you know, the Capitals goalie coach got a voice in, you know, emphasizing how they attacked on odd man rushes. Um, So, you know, how much of that has eroded based on the rest of the league catching up on the importance of it? How much is it just in terms of personnel eroding? How much of this is, you know, goaltending not being able to bail them out? And then obviously – like lineup questions for a team that's going to be tough to make the playoffs as is with questions about Gensel, who's already out and whether he's going to be on the trade market, like whether Brian Rust is here for this road trip or not um, could be significant because it's a tough trip at a time where they need wins. And you wonder if, you know, any dip sort of further reinforces Kyle Dubas's um, plans or plans of action heading into the trade deadline. What did you think of the Canucks' performance the Canucks against uh, Boston on Saturday? Um, you know, I thought for two periods they were shut down pretty effectively by a Bruins team that, you know, knows how to defend, protects the front of its net very well, and had the added bonus of wanting to play a really clean, tight game so they could get a green light because Saturday night was their rookie party here in Vancouver. So, um you know, I kind of wasn't surprised by the first two periods. I was impressed by their ability to break through in the third against it and obviously win in overtime. Uh, and yet, you know, even with that, it took a six-on-five goal to tie it up, right? Like, we're still looking at one five-on-five goal against uh, a good defensive team in Boston at the end of the night. You tie it up six-on-five and you win in overtime in a four-on-three. So, um it was a really good bounce-back result. The third period was a really good bounce-back effort. 
I liked that they didn't come out of their structure to chase the game early mm. when it was evident how difficult it was going to be to generate offense against Boston. Like, that's a real positive. Um, these are the games, regardless of how you win them, these are a little more indicative of what you're likely to face in the postseason, especially if you get through the first round and things are likely to tighten up. Uh, and so after a couple where they lost tight games, I think of Winnipeg, I think of Colorado, you know, in it till the third and end up losing, this one they come out on the right side of it. So there, there was a lot to like, um, and yet, you know, as much as it's celebrated in the market, I don't, I don't know that there was anything huge or definitive about it. Woody, Woody, does the weight, like, I'm curious to know, because you're right, the composure for me was the standout attribute of Vancouver's win, but I'm curious to know, does the first 50 minutes and, and how little they generated that Swayman couldn't see, does that stand out to you as, like, a... a, a concerning template at all given that it sort of matches what we saw against Winnipeg and Colorado over this recent stretch yeah and and again the fact that I mean you I mean great set play to get the first one but it takes a six on five to to generate a look with Swayman's eyes taken away uh to tie the game I, I don't know if I'd say concerning Thomas but it shows you the importance of getting to those areas and I and I know you and I have talked about sort of you know, screens and the value of them. And, and, you know, they listen, like, you can generate offense that way. It's I believe that a lot of people um, don't understand how high value some of those chances are. And if you're an effective team at taking away goalies' eyes, um, you can create a lot of offense that way. But there is inherently a coin flip element to it because getting those pucks through when teams collapse and take away lanes – Again, anything short of a six-on-five um, is difficult. And so, yeah, if, if you create a layered screen um, or a flash screen like Brock did and you hit the top of the net with a release that's timed as well as Heronix was or, or a screen as well-timed as Brock's is, those go in like 40% of the time, and that's great. Um, but finding lanes to get those through and actually ha- you know, hit the top of the net without getting it blocked or hitting a bunch of legs, like that's a lot more difficult task. And, and you are relying on, yes, a little bit of the grittiness to get there, skill to find a lane and get a puck through, but even then there's some randomness in terms of getting it through all those bodies. And in terms of this team sort of overcoming, you know, the, their their brief weird losing streak, um, how, how are you seeing their game trend since the All-Star break? Because on the one hand, that four-game – uh, winless stretch feels kind of blip like a lot of weirdness in there, especially that wild game, uh, that deeply uncharacteristic Kraken game. And yet, it's now an 11 game sample, 500 hockey uh, since the All Star break. Is that noise or signal in your view? Well, I mean, a little bit of both, right? Because we know we sort of have an idea of what, why, because the anomalies are part of that, right? Mm. Like, the Kraken game is a, you know, nobody looked like they had their, they had their legs. I think you can write that off as an anomaly. The wild game, I mean, you know, how many times do you get in four or five on threes against you in a game, right? So, um, you know, and, and as much as I talked about them not generating against the Bruins, defensively, that was one of their best games of the season. Like, they only, like, Boston had 1.36 expected goals. They only gave up four high-danger chances to the Boston Bruins. 
So um, I don't know that we've seen outside of the Seattle game and the mini game and the period against Winnipeg where they, you know, chased a hit, made a mistake. Like, I don't think we've seen what to me is the foundation of their game. And that is the way they defend and how little they give up off the rush. I don't think that has fundamentally shifted or deteriorated significantly. And on Elias Lindholm, you know, he has been really good defensively. We've heard from Rick Tockett. You know, we haven't necessarily seen that uh, that level of offensive upside, but has he been an effective ad just because he does play into what you're talking about, right? This team's identity of their ability to be so stout defensively, he's just another piece, it seems like, that can really contribute to that, you know, up and down the roster. Yeah, I think um, I agree with that. I don't know that you're... I don't know that the investment was way, right. made with an eye towards him being your third line guy. Um, but if that's what you've got, because the fit isn't there on either of the top two lines, it certainly fits that identity. Absolutely. Like if you're not going to get the offensive push at the very least, you know, you get that out of Elias Lindholm. And if that is your foundation, and like I said, I think it has been since they got here. That's not a bad thing. It may not have the upside you were hoping for, when you paid as much as you did to get him, but at least it doesn't become a, it's not a negative at the end of the day. The power play has been a big story, you know, not just in that four game losing streak, but stretching back before that a little bit. Now they score in overtime against the Bruins. It's a four on three power play, but still get on the board. But in terms of the numbers, what are you seeing in, in terms of the chances, the types of chances, the volume, all of that, that they're generating five on four recently? We can all see it, right? It's not there. Like, there were times earlier in the season where the underlying numbers were good and maybe it wasn't going in, not even for small stretches, but we've seen sort of the underlying erode as well in the last little while, right? Like, the PKs, that's been a problem all year. And, you know, to Thomas's point about what trends have we seen since the All-Star break, to me, special teams is the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Like, five on five, no I, d- I don't think it's changed. But when you don't have that power play in your back pocket to bail you out, to get a goal, um, to create pressure or even generate momentum. And that to me is the difference. Like even, even during other short periods, and there weren't many this season where it wasn't clicking, the underlying was still there. You could see the chances being generated, even if they're not a rate team on the underlying numbers on the power play, they were still in the top 10. And, you know, like I think the Seattle game, um, I think of the Colorado game, like, like I'm trying to think of which one it was, was the Colorado one where they only had two, power plays they generated next to nothing like a shot each and they were both low danger and that that to me would be more concerning than anything we're seeing at five on five um and then when you look at the personnel it concerning with an asterisk because you're not worried about them figuring it out but if they don't that becomes a problem because um you know you 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 can only rely on sort of the layered screens and and things like that at five on five to a certain extent so uh, you know, I think this team's that that needs to be in their arsenal, an effective power play. Again, you know, talk it talked about, you know, generating goals at key moments in games rather than the overall numbers and how that's what matters most to him. And I think there were times on that trip where, you know, forget generating goals, they weren't even generating scoring chances. And that's the one that's a little bit concerning. But but again, with the asterisks that are you worried about it long term? Probably not. So I I agree with you about the special teams trend being the most troubling since the All-Star break, but 
big picture, I think my biggest concern. Well, I have two. Con- I have two things that I actually worry about when it when it regards this team. One is five on five offense. In your view, do they generate enough? Even accounting for these layered screens, some of the good work that they do at the net front, um, do they generate enough five on five to reliably threaten against some of the best defensive teams in the league? In your view, based on the underlying numbers they have in all season, mm-hmm. right? Like the underlying numbers have sort of indicated that all year, whether it's the public stuff, and you know you've talked about it, or the proprietary stuff I have. Like a lot of their underlying is, you know, as much as Dad they're snob. incredible. <laughs> defensively they don't give up rush chances like they don't they don't create much off the rush mm-hmm. um and and sort of so yeah they have relied on finishing and i guess i guess the answer's to be seen like that's why this little stretch is so fascinating and that's why i still think there's you know a bit of a question mark around the bruins game because when you did finally break through it was six on five and obviously you can't count on scoring to tie games with your goalie out um as a steady recipe so, you know, I, I do think that their ability to generate those types of looks against better defensive teams, against elite teams at five on five and to, and to create offense is a fair question still at this point. For long stretches of this season, the profile has looked the same and it hasn't mattered because of A, the finishing talent on this team, but also B, you know, they do, you know, in, in ways that aren't measured by the public numbers, the screens and things like that, they do generate better quality chances. And they do have guys like Hughes on the back end that can find the top of the net through traffic and guys like Besser who, you know, really have been so good at taking away goalies' eyes and, and strategically so, not just go to the net because yep. good things happen, but, you know, actual strategy behind it. And guys like Miller who work off that so well. Um, but can you – are you – are you willing to get there? Can you get there? Will you go there and create, or will those lanes be available for the defenseman when you do against upper echelon defensive teams? And, you know, I think that's still to be determined. Um, to this point, they've been fine. The little blips we've seen that they've come against Winnipeg, that they've come against Boston, um, a little bit against Colorado. Uh, yeah, there's an eyebrow raise, but not to the point where, you know, you're in, an, you're in, you're in panic about it. Um, I don't think you could ignore how much they've outscored those underlying to this point in the season, even if it's, some of it has against been against lesser teams. The other thing that I, at the end of the day, just worry a little bit about, right? So Thatcher Demko, only Alexander Georgiev and UC Saros have started more games than Demko has, right? Um, in terms of shots against, fourth in the league. He's faced 1,300 shots at this point. In his NHL career, Demko's played more games than this once, right? The the 64 games that he played with really heavy usage down the stretch during the, the Bruce, there it is, bump. And we all kind of know how that ended. DeSmith, and we talked about in the press box a bit, Woodley, but 844 uh, since, the, since the calendar turned to 2024, a lot of that skewed by that wild game, obviously, but... Is the temptation there to ride Demko down the stretch? Um, how much usage is too much? And and how attentive should the Canucks be here in terms of making sure, uh, you know, to manage his load with an eye toward game one of the postseason? 
You have to be attentive to it. Do I worry that he's the same goaltender physically that he was in that mm. Bruce Theridis season? Uh, I'm not as worried about that, right? Like yeah. I've talked about the changes he's made in terms of how he trains and you know not pulling his body apart, even even playing a system and a style that at times like the level of pace that he goes into posts with, like it's almost violent, right? Um, that explosiveness is a big part of his game, and so injury is always going to be a risk. Um, but it's also what gives you the upside, uh, his right. ability to beat plays. So I'm less worried about that because of the changes he's made to how he trains. Um, am I worried about them going away from DeSmith? Yeah, a little bit, just because like, everybody asks the same questions in Edmonton of me because of Skinner's workload, which has also been really high. But your hand is forced in Edmonton because of all the back-to-backs. It's more tempting here because you don't have those back. I think you Oilers still have six left or seven left. Um, so you know Skinner's not playing those games, and that'll keep it down automatically. We don't have that here in Vancouver. I think there's only one left. So, you know, every second day, hey, he feels good. You could do it. I mean, and it's easy to buy into that, especially if he's telling you my body feels great. We've just seen, you know, like for a long time now that guys that play that number of minutes don't end up winning cups. Is it the reason they don't end up winning cups? Not all the time, but, like, it's kind of hard to ignore the math. And if this is an all-in season, then I do think it's important to sort of continue to manage those minutes and find that balance between making sure he has enough time to stay sharp in his game, but also on top of his health. And so that means playing Casey DeSmith. And, I, you know, it's funny. You and I talked about this in the press box the other day, Thomas, because I was curious too. Like, it's, it's tough when you have a game like the Minnesota game. It just, just absolutely craters your stats. Like, just craters your stats to the point where when you're not playing that much, like, a night like that for DeSmith, even though there were no low-danger goals mm. that went in on him, um, you know, it just undoes you. I think there were eight high-danger chances and seven went in. And, you know, yes, they're high-danger chances, but goalies are expected to stop some of them, and he didn't. Um, so he's not going to be able to recover statistically from that, given how little he plays. I would hope that the team doesn't go away from him based on that. Like, again, we talked about anomalies. Recognize that's anomaly. The, the start before that wasn't his best. So, but take away those two starts, and from December 1st up until that window, like he was plus 2.3% save percentage-wise. Like that was top 10, top 15 in the league. He'd gone on a nice run in limited action, and you know, don't forget that how hard that is to sit for two weeks and then go into a pressure start. So um, I don't think the temptation is there, but I think they're aware of the need to avoid it. And like I said, I don't care what you say about the Smith's numbers from, you know, one point to the next, if they include that Minnesota game, you take away his last two starts. He's been just fine. I know that raw numbers have come down. And of course they were going to, because I, as I was saying at the beginning of the year, when everybody was losing their minds about a nine eighteen save percentage, he had one of the highest expected save percentages in the league. They were defending exceptionally well in front of him. That's dropped by 10 points since then. Mm. And so obviously his other numbers are going to come down. Uh, you know, pull the Minnesota sample out and things aren't that bad. Uh, I think they've got to recognize, and I believe they will recognize the importance. And it could be as soon as tomorrow night against his former team that they're going to recognize the importance. But that's a tough one, right? Like if you were planning to start him, but hey, we lost four in a row and now we got some momentum back, we got to go with our number one guy. Those are the discussions then that can lead to all of a sudden the playoffs started. Oh, crap, we played them 63 games. What were we doing? <laughs> mm. uh, and, you know, 
we've heard Rick Tockett speak recently, or certainly during that four-game losing streak when they were on the road, about our, the desire for more practice time. On the goalie front, you know, as they get into March here, they're going to have a lot more practice time and a lot more space between games than they've had recently. How does that play into, you know, the, the balance of trying to keep Demko fresh but rested? How much does that affect, you know, how, their usage plan for him and, uh, again, keeping him fresh and ready to go for the playoffs? Um, you know, like, I think that's very much a conversation amongst them and with the goalie coach, right? Like, and Demko being honest about how he feels and, like, it'll be, I, I'm kind of curious to see how they balance this out in terms of down the stretch and what minutes he's at in practice, how much they even get to practice, right? So, I don't know the answer. Uh, you know, I know I know. Talk, it talked about even bringing the, the practice goalie on the road. I'm not sure that's going to happen. I, I, I don't know what this plan looks like. But you know, like right back to the beginning press conference of the season, you know they're cognizant, you know, listening to Rutherford talk about the importance of it. You know they're very aware of this, right? So um, ignoring it now when you're at the top of the league of all times, uh, it just seems unlikely to me that they're going to not continue to be aware and continue to find that balance, whether it's in games or whether it's in practice, utilizing a practice goalie to make sure you give them extra rest. And quite often that's get out with the goalie coach early, do your drills, feel good about your game, and then get off. Like that's, that's how Dubnik played the, what was it, 32 or 37 in a row the first year he arrived in Minnesota. They had three NHL goalies. Doobie would go on with the goalie coach for 20 minutes. He'd do one or two drills, and then he'd bugger off. Um, that's the type of thing you can do to make sure your goalie stays more rested down the stretch. Kevin, always a blast to have you on. Thanks for doing this. We'll chat again soon. Perfect. Thanks, guys. That is Kevin Woodley from NHL.com in Goal Magazine. Kevin Woodley on Sportsnet 650 was brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. We'll take a break here. Uh, Lots to get into still. And, you know, we talked about a little bit about Elias Lindholm there with Woodley. But there are some interesting on-ice things. Yeah, believe it or not, not just Pedersen stuff. Some interesting on-ice lineup things uh, to get into from Saturday night's game, which we will do on the other side. Look ahead a little bit to the week to come for the Canucks. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can send your thoughts in. We'll be back right after this here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Trance. Live from the Kintec studio, 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, just an update. Kevin Woodley mentioned this as he was on en route to Pittsburgh Penguins practice. I just saw the Penguins tweeting. Coach Sullivan confirms that Brian Rust is still being evaluated, did not make the trip Mm. to Western Canada. So no Jake Gensel, of course, and uh, now no Brian Rust for the Penguins when they face the Canucks tomorrow night at Rogers Arena. Um, As mentioned, 650. Go ahead. Quietly, quietly, I think you want to win that game very badly. Like, not 
that you don't want to win every game very badly, but the... I don't think you want the losers in five and six no. thing hanging over you, especially going into a really tough spot against the LA Kings. You know, yeah, uh, and you're at home now. You've had a chance to like the, the games are starting to thin out a bit, yeah. right? You're 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 catching up on your uh, your lack of rest and all of that. Pittsburgh, I know they won on the weekend, but like they've been super inconsistent and up and down. Now they're shorthanded. You've got that Kings game looming. Absolutely. And th- not to mention all you of had the a connections ba- you between had a, these teams. You also had a game with some like real bad feeling against them. You know, uh, yep. li- like last month. Played really well, won, but it was exciting. It was combative. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. Also, Sidney Crosby playing in this building. Big deal. I was thinking about it because I was listening to like a uh, – the players you need to see live ranking for an, uh, in an NBA podcast uh, last night. It was the Bill Simmons podcast. I'll just, even though he's not affiliated with sports, you, you can give him a plug. It's all yeah. right. I don't think he's a direct have, competitor. Has, has anyone heard of him? It's a niche podcast. I've heard this I've little podcaster down in <laughs> in the states. Anyway, I was thinking about it in hockey terms, and I was thinking like Crosby's got to be right up there in terms of players you have to see live because there becomes this legacy component to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you want to be able to say, I saw Sidney Crosby. Yeah, like I was mm-hmm. I was, you know, planning out my schedule for the next month, and I was like, well, I'm not missing that. I, every chance I get now to watch Sidney Crosby play live, I have to take. Big deal. Yeah, because he's history. Mm-hmm. It's history now. So anyway, it was just a thought. And he's a pleasure, still. Yeah, still an best. absolute pleasure to watch still uh, do his thing and play live. Um so that's what's going on with the Penguins. We'll look more into that, uh, talk more about the Penguins game tomorrow. But as mentioned, you know, we saw the Canucks coming off that four-game losing streak. And really, that four-game losing streak took on a lot more weight with the Seattle loss and the t- and the commentary from Rick Tockett following the Seattle loss, right? That's what took it from like, ah, they, you know, weird game against Minnesota, a couple close games against good teams to, oh, this is a little bit concerning now, at least from my point of view. And in light of that, uh, you know, Rick Tockett tries some, some new lineup configurations on Saturday against the Bruins. And probably the most notable aspect of this was for the first time since they acquired Elias Lindholm, they went with the strength down the middle approach of Miller, Pedersen, Lindholm, and Bluger as the four centers in the lineup. And hey, one of the things we instantly said when they acquired Elias Lindholm was his flexibility is off the charts, right? And for the ultimate puzzle guy in Rick Tockett, he was acquiring a piece that he could use in so many different roles, in so many different spots in the lineup. This is the first time we saw this particular one. And I know Kevin Woodley said, look, do you really want to pay a price for that type of guy who ends up being on your third line? But third line center is a really important position. Can't be an extremely important position, especially in the playoffs. I'm not saying he'll be stapled there for the rest of the the year or anything like that, but the early returns against a good Bruins team, I thought were pretty impressive. It was the best he's looked. Like, flat out. it's That was his best. I know he's had other games where he's scored, scored twice, yep. but, like, that was the best game that he played, that he's played since being acquired, without question, right? His positional intelligence is elite, 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 elite. But I don't know that he's brought, and this was something we talked about mm-hmm. before the trade, right? When the trade happened, we talked about the floor, we talked about the fit. Mm-hmm. But before it, you know, when it was a hypothetical exercise, I mean, my one concern was, is Lindholm dynamic enough to bring what this team needs at the top end of their lineup? And and if the answer is no, but he 
strengthens your bottom six, which, you know what, this is the other thing. What did what did that change do? Well, it pushed Bluger to the fourth line and gave Vancouver a more robust fourth line and, you know, gave them a little bit of extra push in their third line, which had been flagging since the Dakota Joshua injury. And that's crucial, right? Like, this team's gained such a significant edge all season because their bottom six has been dynamic, has scored, yes. has, like, won them games. And... I, th- I do think this team sort of reached a-, a point over the course of this losing streak where that wasn't in their favor anymore, right? Where the Joshua injury, Hoaglander's promotion, Mikheyev's sort of flagging yep. form, Pew Suter being up the lineup, like instead of this Suter, Hoaglander, Lafferty fourth line that was picking its teeth with soft competition, you you had this sort of fourth line morass with a group of guys who'd scored like two combined goals since Christmas um, and those minutes weren't dependably in your favor. Mm-hmm. The third line wasn't your most reliable five-on-five line. And I think the Lindholm-Bluger shift kind of brought some of that identity back. Although I do think it also puts a lot of pressure on, like, Mikheyev to complement Pedersen effectively. Baines to become at least that. And we talked about it earlier this year, the Michael Amadio player Baines type. Baines is a fascinating part of this. Because yes. it feels like to make Lindholm at 3C work, even... When Dakota Joshua comes back, you need another legitimate top nine forward in the mix, Mm. right? And now maybe you go out and acquire that by trade, right? But like even with Baines in the lineup, you know, your wingers in the top six, it was Suter, Besser, Hoaglander, Mikheyev. There's like one slam dunk top six winger in there, and that's Brock Besser. You know what I mean? Right. Everyone else, you would say, oh, okay, well, the, not that they can't do it, but it's not like a an ideal, well, we feel great about it fit. I mean... So I would say, though, my, my personal view is I think Hoaglander matches that description. I think he was deeply overqualified on the fourth line. And I think Garland matches that description. Yes. It's just they're you, just playing other places. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't have a single line that has two wingers that you'd be like, ha ha, you know, bang, bang. No yeah. question. But in, guys part, are top six in part because you've chosen to spread them out totally. around the lineup. Yeah. So and, and that's fair enough as well. But I do think the... The Lindholm... It's fair enough so long as you don't have to stem the bleeding at any point at the top of your lineup. Yeah. Which can happen in a playoff series, right? Like, which can happen if you bump into the Avalanche or the Oilers, right? Like, you you might have to... Sometimes you just have to, like, stop the bleeding on top uh, as opposed to letting your depth win the matchup. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. But I think... um Definitely saw enough from Lindholm with Garland. And I think, you know, again, as you made the point, like Lindholm, if you're counting on him to be an offensive driver for you, that's maybe not what he's going to be at this point. But how much have we talked about Connor Garland's ability to do Mm. that this year? So there is a bit of a natural fit there with Lindholm's ability to get open, use his shot, do so many of those things of that work in the defensive zone. He's a big body. He can forecheck all of those things to complement Connor Garland and let Garland cook as the the playmaker, the setup guy on that line. And then you bring Dakota Joshua back. And look, I, I've really liked what Archie Baines has done. Maybe there's a spot for him higher up in the lineup. But as unfair as it feels to Teddy Bluger to kind of get him kicked off that line with how good he's been, like Lindholm, Joshua Garland, that has a chance to be a real weapon as your third line down the stretch and into the playoffs. Yeah, but uh, if you end up reconstituting Bluger's line mates as like Baines if Baines can sustain this yeah if Baines can be your Amadio type right and and you have this reconstituted fourth line that has like him Lafferty and and Bluger I mean that's not an L no any means no but but it will require Baines to maintain you know the the like 
preternatural understanding of what Rick Talk at Hockey is all about played at extraordinarily high energy once the adrenaline inevitably wears off. And this is what we always say when guys get called up and we have to apply it again to Baines, which is he's made a really impressive start, but the proof comes like game seven, eight, nine. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the consistency that's required to be a, a depth contributor in the NHL is just an incredibly high bar. And especially because Baines' success to this point has been built off of things like absolutely busting your hump on stop starts in the defensive end, uh, defensive reads, like a lot yeah, of the hockey energy. IQ. Oh, yeah, and a lot of the high energy stuff part of the game that requires you to like outwork opponents and be more focused than opponents. Like, can he maintain that? that that's sort of the question because – He's already shown us that he's at the level where he can be a helpful, like he's got it in him to be a helpful depth contributor. But as we've seen with guys like Noah Juleson, it doesn't mean it's going to like click right. on. It's not, it's not necessarily going to be there every night. Or, or, at least not off the bat. It might. It yeah. might be a. It might be another twelve months before he's at the point where he's at that level every night. You know. Yeah, for sure. But I guess the question for me with Baines is, I mean, first of all, when he came up, you know, because you hear like I'm not. I'm not scouting the Abbotsford games uh, or anything like that, right? So you're mostly relying on reports about what he can do. And I was very curious to see how does he look physically out there, right? How does he look like he's keeping up with the pace and from a strength perspective? And he definitely passed that test. He has passed that test so far, as you said, you know, see what happens when if that energy starts to flag at any point. I think the question for me now is, does he go back down this year? And I don't think they have to make that decision anytime soon. It'll depend a lot on Dakota Joshua's availability well he'll get papered down when dakota joshua comes back no no he'll he, he, they'll paper him down before the deadline oh sure okay like like on deadline day you know that you you paper guys down to maintain their eligibility in the calder cup playoffs and right now he'd be the only guy uh you'd expect to get papered down you're not going to risk amon on waivers you're not going to risk joshua on wa- or sorry julson on waivers so you know he, he will he will on paper go down on March 8th. But will he play for Abbotsford again this year? That, to me, is an open question. It, it's it's a really interesting question. I think a lot of it's going to be outside his control, too. It's going to be like, how does the Kessel thing play out? Mm. Do they bring in another body with size up front? Because that's the other thing. Okay, let, let me, let's let's go through another. One of our favorite things to do, yes. a thought exercise. Things Jamie and I don't like. Actual so what, exercise. What sports radio is known for? Thought Think, exercise. Things we like. Thought exercise. Yeah. If this works for another week, in terms of Pedersen Miller, Lindholm down the middle, Bluger down the middle, does that in any way recalibrate what you think this team should be after, in terms of like a secondary ad ahead of the deadline? No, because I think we were thinking wings anyway, right? Yeah, wings with size. Yeah, and ideally like some push, like ideally some offensive dynamism. Go get Jake Gensel, baby. (laughs) Let's do it. Sure, you know you can sign him. I'm all in. No, um, I don't think it changed. I don't think it changes that. I think you're still looking to. I think then what you have is you have the spine of a really competitive forward group, and you're looking to fill it out around that, right? Because as I said, mm. you still have question marks. Like I, you know, we love Pew Suter on this show, but it's not as if he's a slam dunk in that role. He's playing next to Miller and Besser. You know, Ilya Mikheyev, and I thought that line had some good moments. Uh, against Boston. I thought generally it was pretty solid, actually. Mikheyev with Pedersen and Hoaglander. But again, given where he's at in his injury recovery, is that a guy you want to be relying on in a really important position? So I think to me, there's still 
not that any of them are like crisis situations where it's like this is a big problem on your in your lineup right now. I think that's what was with Andre Kuzmenko. It's like this is a problem that they have to solve. I don't know if any of these players I'm describing are that, but there's areas to upgrade. There's mm. opportunities to upgrade and get better on the wings in your top six. I think undoubtedly right now. Kuzmenko trending toward being a healthy scratch for their second consecutive game in Calgary. Um, yeah, so. I think you're right. I think you're right. It, we, we've known that they need size and ideally an additional penalty killing contributor and ideally a guy who can like take the goalie's eyes and maybe contribute mm-hmm. a bit offensively at the very least. And that's, you know, um, still the need. Frank Saravelli reporting earlier today, the Canucks are keeping close tabs on Brandon Duhame. Big fan. Yeah. Big, six foot big two. Fan. Right shot. No, left shot. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, six foot two, 200 pounds. So big guy, bottom six, energy, pending UFA at 1.1. Just a pain. And, you know, I think I forget if it was uh, Friedman or our pal Rick Dollywa. I think it was Friedman on Donnie and Dolly saying the Canucks are considering a lot of different things, things both big and small. And when we have people text in sometimes, you know, what's your kind of over under on deals you expect the Canucks to make before the end of the year? I would say I'd be very surprised if they don't make two more moves. And they it could just be as simple as, Brandon Duhame type and the bottom six and a depth defenseman, something like that. But that's my kind of baseline expectation is they will go get a guy like a Brandon Duhame or equivalent. And then you can scale up the possibilities from there, but it would not surprise me at all. And in fact, I'm expecting a player like that, very similar uh, to be here before the the deadline. Cause there's just, we've heard them talk about it too much. That need for size. One other thing that we haven't somehow addressed yet, which is, um, <laughs> As the Canucks began to churn that game in their favor on Saturday night, you know who was a big, big driver of it is Nikita, Nikita Zadorov, Zadorov. Just like breaking four checks with his feet. We've, we've he ta- looked awesome, man. He was so good. We've talked about this a fair bit. Like, he was like we, making plays in the offensive zone yeah, and stuff. Yeah. No, this is going down low. Like this is Zadorov at his best. One thing that's been sort of interesting is when they first acquired Zadorov, you know, I was hyping up the chaos that would ensue, and then he played a very contained game, I think, as he adjusted to his new surroundings. And all of a sudden, we saw the secondary puck-moving push that Zadorov can bring to your lineup against the Bruins, and man, was it vital in helping the Canucks win. Not just the assist that he picked up off the set play, but also just the way that he started helping them Mm -hmm log heavy shifts on a on a pretty consistent basis as as the game turned in their favor. You can see, you can see like when you have that secondary push from the back end, this team has more options in terms of how they can attack, in terms of how they can transport the puck. And I still think an additional body like that would mean a lot. Like one more guy who can give you some who push. can move the puck a little bit. Man, I think that would be huge. Yeah, well I think look, well here how about this? You were saying does the does the Lindholm down the middle look change what you think they should do at the deadline? And I, I don't think it does up front, but are you looking at forward or defense more right now? Like if they if they could make one move before the deadline, are you targeting the blue line or are you targeting a guy up front for the Canucks? Uh, I mean, I mean puck or, is it, or is it as simple as best player available? No, additional puck mover has always been the thing. And, and for me, it's more about – for me, it's more about purchasing – like Horonic Hughes insurance, not that anyone you're going to be able to land is mm-hmm. going to be an actual like facsimile or even a reasonable facsimile, but at least like a stylistic fit so that you don't lose the way that that pair can play. 
Now, you're going to lose it if you lose Quinn Hughes. Don't get me wrong. But, <laughs> yes. But Correct. But, you know, it, some just, just someone so that at least it doesn't throw off entirely how you attack as a team. You know, like right now, and we're so not used to it in Vancouver, but right now that pair bends the game, right? The Canucks have like one forward line that's reliably driven play five on five in minutes away from that pair. And in minutes with that pair, they have four forward lines to drive play, right? I mean, and that forward line is not together right now because it's because Joshua's injured. Truly, like I, exactly. This team's minutes at this point should be separated between on ice Hughes Heronic minutes and off ice Hughes Heronic minutes, right? And in the past, it's been like with Pedersen on the ice, they outscore their opposition, or with JT Miller on the ice, they do this versus that. And it's like now it's just like. All you have to do is hold serve in your non-heronic Hughes minutes because you are going to outscore your opposition in the in the minutes that they play. So to me, whatever insurance policy you can buy to protect that edge, like to me, that's the highest leverage thing you can do ahead of the deadline, unless you're getting a game breaking, unless you're landing Jake Gensel, unless right. you're unless you're landing like a Jordan Eberle quality guy, like a real top of the lineup guy. Unless you're doing that, I think that's the the sort of highest leverage depth ad you can you can bring in would be like I don't know, and I know it didn't work out here for him because of concussions, but it's like I'd way rather see this team add Travis Dermott than just about anyone up front because of the fact that like in my mind's eye, it's like, okay, well, you know, he can give you some options for some push at the bottom end of your lineup if you're all healthy, and then also if one of Hughes or Heronic go down. Does, does he help you sort of plug and play with a guy who can at least like play that style, move the puck in that style? See, for me, I think it's legit top four defenseman of basically any stylistic description. I guess I would say right shot. I would add that caveat because they have so many oh. left shots already. I think they'd agree with you. Right. So I think just like take any style, if they are a legit guy you feel really comfortable playing 20 plus minutes a night in the playoffs, like guy you're excited about having in that role, go get them. That's that's first and foremost for me. Then you get to, yeah, as you said, Gensel, Eberle, right? And then I think beyond that, then you can start to kind of parse by style and sort by style of player. And I agree with you at that point, right? Like, you know, we've brought up Alexander Carrier uh, as a UFA oh, out of Nashville. Player, a player like that, Love that would make a ton of sense. Or the big body guy farther down the, the forward lineup as well. Yeah, someone's someone needs to do the go to Nashville and get both Carrier and Novak trade. That's the play. I like it. Someone, um, someone's got to make it. They with, cost 2.6 combined. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You know? That would be an interesting one. It's the way to go. Um, it is interesting, though, with Baines, because with Joshua back, and as you mentioned, the Phil Kessel thing, which, and the latest I heard, was that pending something going really, really haywire, he's going to sign with the Canucks. I believe that was what Rick Dollywall was uh, reporting earlier or last week, I should say. I mean, it's going to be a pretty crowded forward group here. <laughs> Again, once healthy. But the great thing about Rick Tockett is he doesn't leave a lot of mystery about how he's evaluating his players. You know, you can tell pretty quickly from the minutes, from his commentary, if he is very happy or unhappy with a player. Like, think back to when he came in and Andre Kuzmenko's minutes started to dwindle right away, even last season, right? We started to notice that. That wasn't a coincidence. That was There was something there. On the flip side, 
the fact that Archdeep Baines is already playing, he's not playing fourth line minutes. Like he is, he has clearly set himself above in the minute hunt from guys on that fourth line. That says that says a lot to me about what Rick Tockett sees in Archdeep Baines. So it might be difficult, and there might be like waiver things and contractual things that end up pushing him back down to the playoffs. But I think if Rick Tockett is setting his lineup right now. He wants Archie Baines in there. Like I, I, th- I don't know how else to interpret what we've seen and how he's used him through these uh, through these first handful of games here, and that's a huge, huge deal. If all of a sudden Archie Baines has impressed Rick Tockett to that degree to figure into a hypothetical playoff lineup, yeah, uh, Canucks have some flexibility, but yeah, when Joshua and Carson Soucy are both back, Baines is your like only waiver exempt guy. Yeah. That said, I don't think you worry too much about waving Niels Amon if it comes to it. Yeah. You know, especially because he's got two years, two years of high one-way salary. I, I think that's a pretty I, – I, I don't think – I, I think he could pass through. Phil, Give, Di, Phil DiGiuseppe? Well, I don't think you'd wave Phil DiGiuseppe. He's on a two-way, so I don't think you'd wave Phil DiGiuseppe. I think you'd wave Niels Amon first. He, he, you're just far more protected. So, yeah, they're they're going to have some options here. And Baines is definitely going to earn a look. But uh, again, maintaining that, that's that's really – maintaining that energy level is a lot easier said than yep. done. But, man, if he's an option, that's uh, is just fascinating and another part of a great story for our Steve no Baines. Question. The fact that we're even having this conversation for him is really, really cool. All right. That does it for us today. Good to be back on the show. It's Canucks game day tomorrow. They take on Sidney Crosby and the Penguins. We'll have your coverage here. Keep it right here on Sportsnet 650.